Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 172 of Talking Giants, and today's show is going to be a little different. We're going to go back, and we're going to talk some Giants history in a similar format that we have been doing on Bleeding Blue. On today's docket, we have the dynamic between Chris Snee and Tom Coffin when he was drafted, the interesting backstory of Ahmad Bradshaw, Earth, Wind, and Fire during the 2008 season, Eli Manning's SNL performance, and maybe more. So without further ado, let's talk Giants, and let's bleed blue. Hello, wonderful people of the world. Welcome back. This is a podcast called Talking Giants, but we're kind of merging it today, like I said in the intro, with Bleeding Blue, because Bleeding Blue is a new pod, not really a new podcast. It's been going on for a while, but it's a new vision for a podcast that's solely centered around Giants history. We're bringing it to Talking Giants. I have Bobby Skinner with me, coming from Florida. I have Nikki Snacks, Snacks BDGE, Coming to you from New Jersey. I am coming to you from New Jersey. Bobby, I'll throw it to you first. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, you know, I'm glad to have snacks on the program. I know this is. It feels kind of weird not being in the host chair. And like I said, like you said, we're going to try and make this a little more like the Bleeding Blue podcast. Snacks, we'll throw it to you. Introduce yourself. Who are you? Why are you on this podcast? Why are you talking to all these wonderful people today? And how are you doing? Uh, who I am. I am 5'8", 150 pounds, pale skin, red hair. I host, co-host the Bleeding, oh, I said the Bleeding mm-hmm. Blue, I'm gonna. I'm just going to keep saying it, the Bleeding Blue podcast with you, Justin. I do um, I do fantasy football, Big Dogs Gotta Eat, snacks underscore BDGE, and I will say this right now, it is an absolute honor being on with you guys. Um, easily the best Giants content out there. So to to be with you guys is is truly a pleasure. So I guess that is as sentimentalized I can be, and I will never give either one of you guys more credit than I just gave you. So thank you, thank you, because I don't like compliments. <laughs> I know I know Justin likes compliments. I don't, but well, he's got the biggest ego in the world. Yeah, I think this is going to be fun though, snacks, because me and you both like to bully Justin. So it's re- it's going to be like a tag team match, and those are always the most fun ones to have. Yeah, we, we, me and you are literally going to be like Devon and Bubba Ray Dudley and just powering Justin through tables left and right. I just can't wait for Justin to try and make a point, and I'm just going to talk over him and make fun of him. We're just yeah, literally just stop him in his tracks. He's going to stop talking, and then we're just gonna, we're just going to go on on our own. Justin, what do you think? You don't even know that nobody even likes bullies like you. That's not what I'm doing. That's what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. You don't have any other thoughts? I don't have any other thoughts besides nobody likes bullies. What's new? Nope. Justin, that's um, what what you bring to the table. That's good. No thoughts. That's what I bring to the table. I have no no (laughs) thoughts. Nothing nothing new to say. I copy. Well, I I will say, guys, I'm very happy to be here. You guys, best in the business. So thank you for having me on. I can't wait to get into this. Speaking of reading through a book, um, (laughs) that's actually what we are going to be doing today. We are, and what we are doing on Bleeding Blue, the majority of what we've been doing, we've been doing some other concepts and some other segments, but if these walls could talk, if these walls could talk, like I also like to exaggerate my Jersey accent, 
Uh, it's by Ernie Palladino. It's a really good book. It's about stories from the New York Giants' sidelines, locker room, and press box from the last 20 years. We've been reading through chapter through chapter on you know, Bleeding Blues podcast. We've been talking about it. Snacks, uh, how would you, you, you I, what I was hoping to say in your little elevator pitch is you rank, there's top three things in your life. And yes. how, how do you rank the certain most important things in your life? So I, I need you, I need you to give that line. Yeah. So my, uh, my top three things, and I, I kid you not, it's not, not a joke when I say this, I mean it every time I say it, Giants, family, and then breathing. So um, that's literally it. Anything outside of that, I'm sick. Oh, you're sick. You, you are. You really are sick. You're a sadistic Giants fan. You're, you really I are am. a sadistic Giants fan. Snacks, I, I mean, I, I, I think in the offseason, Snacks, me and you are like best friends because like that passion range through the offseason. But then like during oh, yeah. the season, we can't stand each other. No, 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 Bob. There's so <laughs> many takes that you're putting out there that I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like sending them to Justin. I'm like, man, what's he, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? But now, I'll tell you right now, Bobby, I'm coming at you. If I see it during the season and I don't like it, I'm coming right at you. I have this comfort zone I'm coming in. Snacks, when did you want Pat Shermer fired? Like what week? Approximately. Uh, the, the day he got hired. Okay, there you go. I, I uh, actually I, made a rule halfway through the season that I wasn't going to reply to n- anything negative on Monday. Because <laughs> then I get like frustrated. I remember there was one time snacks where you're like, you tweet at me like Bobby Skinner, please defend Shermer. I dare you. And I, I, did, I wanted yeah, to I went reply after, so yeah. bad, but I didn't do it. Yeah, I know. Oh. I know. I, I did. I can't. Well, it wasn't so much. It wasn't so much you. And I understood your point. It was a good tweet. Like, like the continuity and everything, like everything was there. Daniel Jones, blah, 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 blah. I understood it. I got it. But Justin knows from day one, I never wanted Pat Shermer as that head coach. And I also think he got a raw deal. You know, I, I'm going to I'm going to try and backtrack a little bit. OK, I think the guy is a phenomenal offensive coordinator. He's just not meant to be a head coach. Hey, I came around. I just I just you like know. to be a little bit. Pa- I, I like to be a little bit patient in season and, and like see stuff. Snacks is not patient. <laughs> no, no. See, that's my that's my biggest problem in the world. There, patience is uh, I just ranked the three most important things in my life. Patience is probably like number ninety four. I don't have any patience at all. Me, and, me either. But part of it, I think, for me, is I didn't grow up in New York or New Jersey, so I'm around all different types of sports fans. Whereas, you know, like when you're in New York, New Jersey, it's the Giants and the Jets. That's it. You know, that's all you talk fair. about. Yeah. So I think that might be it. But I will say, Ben McAdoo really got like the like that was the most New York sports fan I think I've ever been. Alex Rodriguez got the New York sports fan out of me where I just couldn't oh, stand him. God. I wanted, I like, when he got suspended either. for the year, I celebrated. I wanted him banned from the league. I couldn't stand Alex Rodriguez. Was yeah. he, I couldn't even care less about the steroids. It just seemed like every year the season finished with an Alex Rodriguez strikeout. Oh, he, he, was just, he was just an a-hole the whole time. Like, I, I kid you not, Justin, you, you've met me in person. I wear the Yankees on my chest. I have a Yankee emblem on my chain, and I wear it on my heart all the time. I love the Yankees. Hate A-Rod. Hate him. Ben McAdoo to Pat Shermer to me was like almost a lateral move. It wasn't a guy in control. It wasn't something that was that was appealing. He didn't. He never struck me as like this confident guy in you know bringing everything together. But I will say, when I did come after you before I knew you, you know before I knew you, it was uh, you know a little a little different. And I would not. I t- I tell you what, if Pat Shermer was the offense coordinator right now. I'd be throwing a party because 
That continuity with Daniel Jones, unbelievable. But, Justin, I know that's not what you want to talk about, so take it over. And, Bobby, I do apologize for ever coming at you on Twitter. And I love I'm really it. Glad you, I I'm, really, I, gl- I I'm want- really glad you never responded. I wouldn't want it to be any other way. <laughs> in defense of Ben McAdoo, I really no, do think sharing a don't start, don't podcast. start. Don't I really start. do think do sharing start. a story about a sex crazed lion was a really good way to rally the team. And also, snacks. I want you to quickly share because we're we're talking about Ben McAdoo and why we mostly hate Ben McAdoo. How many times have you cried over the fact that you how much like you love Eli Manning? And I'm not just talking about like you know metaphorically crying, physically crying tears of either sadness or joy over how much you love. Elijah Manning. Okay, so um, the human body has 10 fingers on everybody's hands, right? Well, besides Jason Pierre-Paul, but go ahead. Eight fingers and two thumbs. That's it. Ah, see? See what I do? I come right here and I set you guys up right away. There's not enough times to count how many times I cry. I'm a very emotional person, okay? Like, to the point where I'm almost too emotional. And it's, it's detrimental to my health. It's detrimental to everything. As Justin could tell you, I've eaten White Castle twice this week. That's oh, how no. That's God. that's where you know that I'm low, okay. But Eli brings something out of me that is just otherworldly. I have three heroes in life: Stone Cold Steve Austin, Eli Manning, and Tiger Woods. Those those are my heroes, okay. And that's it. So the fact that I get this Eli stuff, you know, it's a little different. And when Ben McAdoo slicked his hair back, and then I heard he wanted to trade up for Mahomes, I just Maybe not. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it's not the right time. I think I know we're doing Giants history, but I don't want to do Ben McAdoo history. No, I mean, yeah. Can we please not? I, I was very disappointed when when Justin brought that up. No offense, Justin. I really I do can't. think that sex crazed lion uh, story is one of the best moments in franchise history. But anyway, so exactly we what did we're talk doing about today, that, didn't we? We did. No, well, we may we maybe. Oh, we did talk about it on Bleeding Blue. We did Blue. talk about that. Yeah, like that was like the first the one, season. Yeah. I think it was very strange. Um, but anyway. What we are doing, and I kind of said it like five minutes ago, but what we're doing, we're going through a book, uh, If These Walls Could Talk, Ernie Palladino, and we're basically going through the, the certain, you know, certain chapters, and the theme of this chapter is basically random stories of giant superstars. Um, so I already read you some of the stories that we have on docket, like Chris Snee, Eli Manning's SNL performance, Earth, Wind, and Fire during the 08 season. And what we do, we go through this book. I read excerpts. Snacks and I react to it on Bleeding Blue. Bobby's going to be joining us today, and he's going to be re- reacting to it as well. So are we ready, fellas? Are we ready? Snacks, thank you for being here. Bobby, thank you for being here. Are we ready to rock and roll? Ready. Ready Ready to rock okay. and roll as long as Sean Lundett is not in here, right, Bobby? Stop it. Don't you disrespect, <laughs> don't you, don't you disrespect the greatest Giants punter of all time. <laughs> Come on. That was good. That was Team, good. Team Jeff Fiegels. <laughs> I don't disagree. I do not disagree. I just I throw. I, he may be horrible on Big Blue Kickoff Live, but he was a great punter. <laughs> yes, he was. Yes, he was. All right, Tim from Florida, you're about to get hung up on. Um, the first story: the son-in-law also rises. The Giants' second-round draft pick of 2004 was a good-looking guard from Boston College. Tom Coughlin originally noticed Chris Snee during Snee's redshirt freshman season, while the Jacksonville Jaguars and former BC coach scouted one of the school's running backs. Coughlin liked everything about him, his toughness, competitiveness, and build. The fact that Snee and the coach's daughter, Kate, had Coughlin's grandson, Dylan, had nothing to do with it, of course. A guy who, (laughs) Palladino's funny, a guy who gets drafted with the 34th pick overall by anyone has great potential. That's why Coughlin signed signed off on the move after the Giants asked him repeatedly if he could handle coaching the father of his grandchild. 
Players are players, and family is family in Coughlin's mind, and the two should remain separate. He wouldn't want it any other way, and it's never been an issue, Coughlin said. I never think about it twice. We've been able to keep business, business, and family, family. He does a great job of making sure of that. There was just one more obstacle. Coughlin's wife, Judy, the whole family had been stunned in 2003, and not in a good way, to find out that Snee and their unwed daughter were having a baby. But Chris and Kate grew up fast after Dylan arrived, their son. And by April of 2004, the guard had won his in-law's hearts. So when Coughlin called out on draft day and asked Judy, do you mind if we draft this kid? Judy gave her consent. Chris had already been through the worst of my husband, she said. He had to earn his way into our family. So we've seen like the cliche videos. I, you know, of, of I, I think we even shared it on the Talking Giants Instagram and Twitter recently, counting down the days to kickoff with 76, where we kind of all know the story of, oh, yeah, you know, Tom Clough and Chris Snee, their in laws, you know, married to the daughter of Tom Clough and yada, yada, yada. They've been able to keep family, family, and business, business. But the fact that Chris Snee, had a baby with Tom Coffin's daughter while they were in college and they weren't married. That is something that I learned. And that is something that I find to be not, not shocking. It happened, but an incredible part of this story that I did not know. Yeah. I'm surprised Coughlin was willing to do that. Like you feel like Coughlin would like despise him and not be a want to be around him. I know. I mean, Coughlin's a hard ass and I'm the kind of guy where it's like, you know, when you're young, you think when your sister has a boyfriend, you're just going to end up fighting him. And then you get older, you realize it's like, now you're just going to ignore him and not want to talk to him when you're at uh, social events. But for Coughlin, the hard ass him to want to bring in Snee is uh, pretty surprising because you think you think it'd be the opposite where he just doesn't want him around. Yeah, and I would probably lean towards that agreement. Coughlin is as hard ass of a guy as probably any Giants coach has been since Parcells. Granted, there hasn't been uh, much competition since. But the fact that the premarital whole thing in college kind of seems like not a Coughlin way, if you know what I'm saying. Did Chris Snee finish five minutes early? Do we know that? Oh, <laughs> oh that, that's the issue. Sheesh. Oh, um, yeah, Justin I, Justin, I had that written in my notes. Don't worry. That was that was a oh. joke written down. Yep, 100%. Well, um, but, wow. but then again, but then again, Chris Snee wound up being one of the best offensive linemen in Giants history. So you're drafting talent. Coughlin is trying to, at the time when he drafted him, wasn't trying to save his job, but trying to make the team better. So how are you not going to draft an All-American offensive guard? And he wound up being an All-Pro offensive guard. So at the end of the day, his grandkids know Super Bowls. Um, his, his daughter knows winning. So... I think it all worked out in the end. Let's, let's go to 2005 Twitter. Okay. We, oh, you know, the 2004 oh, season yeah. over. Oh, yeah. It's around the draft. Hell yeah. We don't have our first round pick. The Chargers picked Sean Merriman, who did. didn't have a long career, but during his career, he was an awesome player. He was a beast. He was a beast. Eli Manning has a horrible, like a wretched rookie season. Tom Coughlin benches Kurt Warner when the Giants have a winning record for Eli Manning. They were five and four when they benched him, I believe. Could have went to the playoffs, yeah. Could have went to – I mean, they were – you know, at one point they were 5-2. and two, And then he drafted what at the time was looked at as a reach in Chris Nee, who is his son-in-law at the time. We would have been calling for Tom Coughlin's head <laughs> in 2005 yeah, Twitter. That's true. It would have been nasty. And you know what? You know, we talked about at the beginning of the show where I'm a little more patient. 
I kind of would have been right there on there because as much as we love Eli Manning guys, after the first two, one after Philip Rivers had his first year and, and Philip Rivers didn't play at this point, you know, when Breeze actually got good all of a sudden. But after that first year, when those, you know, the 14 and two Chargers team, I think every Giants fan can admit that we were kind of probably like, hey, I mean, I, um, I kind of wish we would have just stuck with Rivers. Yeah. It does change the story, though, in terms of our reactions to picking Snee. And not having, you know, trading away so many, so many of those picks to get Eli, and then you know we take Snee, and that was a reach to begin with. If we were to know, and I'm serious, I, I think I'm 100% serious in this. I, serious in this, I'm not just trying to play the devil's advocate. If we were to know that Chris Snee knocked up Tom Coughlin's daughter in college <laughs> when they before they were even married, and Tom Coughlin took this kid anyway. It must have meant that he really liked him, and he was a good and he was a good dude, and he was a good football player. Because if there had to be a point. If you think we would have listened to that logic, I don't like. There's no way we would have listened to that logic. We would just, and I would have been on too. Like we just ran with, we just reached for this guy. I don't know how good Chris Snee was in his rookie year if he even played, but eleven you know, was, games. You know. He had three fumble recoveries that year. I wasn't paying attention to guard play much. This is why you're here, Justin. You provide the big stats like that, fumble recoveries. Okay. Um, Chris Snee had three fumble recoveries because Tiki Barber uh, snacks his favorite player. Probably why are you even mentioning him? Why no, you he didn't because Tiki didn't fumble when, when Coughlin came. He, I think he had one fumble under Coughlin. That doesn't get talked about enough. I know you can't stand no, Tiki snacks, but no, he I was can't. like the king of fumbling. Like It was like Tiki, Tiki's a great running back, but he just fumbles so much. And then Tom Coughlin shows up and he fumbles one time in the next you know three years. But it's also a difference. You can literally see the way he was running. Like you, you look at film from like two thousand two, from two thousand to like two thousand three, and he's running with the ball on his side. And all of a sudden, the ball is up in his chest, and he's not fumbling. And all of a sudden, he's going over two thousand all-purpose yards every single year. And then he go, he has the audacity, he has the balls to come out. He goes, "I want to retire," and then he calls out the coach and Eli. Like, come on, man. That's just it's to me. I'm not going to get into it on here because everybody's heard my rant and whatnot. I will not do it. Justin, I promise you, I won't do it. But you're 100% right. He was not fumbling when Tom Coughlin was there. If he played two more years, he's in the Hall of Fame. That's me. Long long story short, Snacks told uh, Tiki Barber's wife and father-in-law to go screw off in person at MetLife Stadium after he berated him at MetLife Stadium the first week of the 2018 season. And he didn't get thrown out of the stadium. They just moved him up to Section 300. So he was on cloud nine. (laughs) So they actually moved you. That's pretty impressive. That must have been a good berating. Yeah, we we, uh, we 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 talked about it last week on Bleeding Blue, and um, it's it's a true story, Bobby. They legitimate. I was my girlfriend got me like really good seats, like behind the goalpost, like down low, and uh, there his his wife and his father in law came after me. I had no idea who they were <laughs> until I until I googled them, and then I just told them, you know, go blank yourself. And uh, mm-hmm. security guards came, security guards came up to me and they said, "We got to move you." I was like. And I told Justin this. I was like, wait, you're not kicking me out? I'm like, no, we're going to move you up top. And it was the happiest moment of my life. I wanted to be up top anyway. <laughs> so it all worked out. I got to ruin Tiki Barber's wife's day and his father-in-law's day. Maybe that's sick. Maybe it's a stretch. It is sick. But I did it, and I was happy. And I got to sit up top with the rest of the degenerates that we are. Yep. So 
as Justin said, quick story short, that's that's it. It was uh, a, not pretty, not pretty that's it, but, at all. But let's talk about a, let's talk about a running back that we actually like, unlike uh, unlike Mr. Barber. So we got a story about Ahmad Bradshaw. Uh, and Bobby, I'm excited to hear some of your some of your reactions to this. You know, based off of how much of a reaction that you had to the whole DeAndre Baker case and whatnot. But through the snowflakes and to the Super Bowl, when the Giants released Ahmad Bradshaw in February of 2013, General Manager Jerry Reese said, "Pound for pound, Bradshaw is one of the toughest football players I've ever been around. Ahmad played football the the way Giants football should be played." That was never more true than on December 23rd, 2007, before all the foot and knee injuries turned a hard-nosed 26-year-old running back into too big of a salary cap risk. He was a rookie backup to Brandon Jacobs back then, a seventh-round compensatory draft pick with mid-round talent, and a troubled past. Bradshaw came to the Giants off two college arrests, the first for underage possession of alcohol and resisting arrest got him thrown off Virginia's team before he even started his freshman year. He walked on at Marshall, but in January of 2006, he was pinched for stealing a PlayStation 2 video game from another student's dorm room. That one led to two years probation for a plea bargain from felony burglary down to misdemeanor petty larceny. He also had run afoul of the law as a juvenile and wound up splitting a 60-day jail sentence for a parole violation on that incident during the off-seasons of 2008 and 2009. So I'm going to stop right there because between underage drinking, now resisting arrest is a different story, but underage drinking and stealing a PlayStation 2 video game, not maybe not even a whole console, maybe Paladino is kind of misspeaking here, but a video game from another student's dorm room and leading that one thing led to two years probation and a plea bargain from felony burglary to misdemeanor petty larceny i think that is extremely petty and like way too much nfl scout take you steal the playstation 2 you we don't want to draft you if you only steal the game (laughs) then you're a guy we can draft you know because like i mean you know people there's probably a lot of people who have stolen the game they're probably stealing games from their friends um, but you steal the PlayStation Two. That goes from like, hey, you stole something to like, oh, you're you're just in, you're a thief, dude. But for it to even be felony larceny, I feel like it had to be a PlayStation Two because I don't know, like like a sixty like a, a video game is what sixty bucks. So I no. mean, I, maybe they I don't know what Paladino was saying, but from that charge, it sounds like he was stealing the PlayStation Two. Yeah, college dorm yeah, stealing is a big thing, by the way, too. Yeah, it, it that doesn't go on lightly. I I will say I will say this, the fact that he had all these like little things that are going on, and Justin, you're saying it that he stole a PS2 game, which I kind of agree with Bobby. It had to have been like the whole console because there's no way you're you're calling the the FBI on on a, on a stolen PS2 game, um, and a you know an underage drinking, whatever that is. But I mean, come on, really falling to the seventh round because of these little misdemeanors. Kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and it, underage it was, drinking. Like, come that, on. See, that, that, that's the one that gets me the most because I've had four of those. Okay. I've had four of those underage drinking tickets. And I can promise you, if I was an athlete, I don't think that would have messed up my draft status at all. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, not obviously not everyone in the draft has an underage drinking charge, but 99.9% of the draft has took place in underage drinking. Yeah, 100%. Dude, look at Baker Mayfield. He was the number one overall pick, and he like he's an raided a cop. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, I know. I've heard it. He legitimately went at a cop 
on camera. And Ahmad Bradshaw is getting docked for getting underage. Come on. That is crazy. Like, we don't talk enough about how Baker Mayfield ran from the cops. No, we don't. We don't. The fact that he he didn't even just run. He, like, made moves on the cops. <laughs> he got lit <laughs> up. I've never seen. Like, he did. I, he I don't did. know. He had to. It looked like he hurt his ribs, too. And, like, rib injuries are the worst. I mean, he just got lit up. Justin, does it say the resisting arrest was, resisting arrest was with violence or without violence? It does not say. It does not get that specific. Can we look up the Ahmad Bradshaw clerk of courts? Oh, without yeah. violence. So, so let me let me finish off the one part because, uh, and then while somebody looks this up, so the Giants knew that that was coming in terms of the you know his his coming. sixty day his <laughs> wait yeah his sixty day jail sentence for the parole viol- violation between the off seasons of 08 and 09. So they knew that was coming, but they decided to take a chance on Bradshaw anyway, given his solid 5'10", 214 pound frame, his speed and his elusiveness. At the same time, Reese and player development director Charles Way, a former Giants fullback, told Bradshaw in no uncertain terms that further transgressions would not be tolerated. Bradshaw promised and became a model citizen throughout his six-year Meadowlands career, but on a snowy day in Buffalo, he would justify Reese's faith in him as a running back, and as we all know, we all know what happened in Buffalo and how he basically helped the Giants clinch a playoff berth in 2007 and went on to have an awesome Giants career as well. Did we find out an answer about the resisting arrest with violence or without violence? Hold on. I'm reading an article from nydailynews.com. Bradshaw is scheduled to be released for jail. I forgot that he spent like time, like actual time in jail, not just like a night and got bailed out. Like he actually did a 30-day sentence, which seems really harsh. And remember, well, remember those violations were apparently from parole violations from when he was a juvenile. So he even did, you know, that was oh, so his was whole a, story's crazy. A violation of probation? Mm-hmm. Probation, yeah. So I actually remember meeting Bradshaw because my father and I, we have a 2007-2008 helmet where we got all the guys' autographs, most of the guys from the team, we got their autographs at autograph shows. And I remember my father telling me, he has to go to, to prison or jail soon and spend like a 30 day sentence. So we met him. Uh, we got his autograph at the show and then he had to go spend a, you know, spend his month, his month term, which is kind of crazy. Man, here's this article, Virginia recruit Bradshaw arrested. I don't know. It's hard to say. I think it's, it's undisclosed. I guess what it was. Yeah. And, and it always seems to come back to me that like the giant, which is complete BS in and itself because of the whole Josh Brown thing and everything else. But we always used to think like the the Giants didn't want to draft guys with with problems or anything. So the fact that they're taking Lamont Bradshaw, granted, seventh round. So you're taking a flyer essentially, right? At the end of the day, a seventh round picks a flyer. Um, But that was never their MO. And and they took him. And I will say this. We kind of reaped the benefits, huh? What do you say, Justin? Huh? Yeah, and I remember LPG coming on the show, and you know, not to that say was, that that just was because a very good episode, by the way. Sorry. Yeah, to not to it. just say that just because a guy's funny that means that he's that he's a good guy, but especially it's usually the opposite. <laughs> if you're building a relationship with him, you know, and especially the fact that he was a giant for such a long time, and you know, he 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 did it the right way, according to Jerry Reese. He you know he played the game of football, and he was a giant in the right way. They must have clearly known, like, hey, we'll take a flyer on this guy and we'll make sure that we make it clear, like, if you do anything else, you're done. But they must have known him well enough, especially after they drafted him, you know, because he made it through camp. He made it through the whole season 
to get his opportunity up in Buffalo. And my whole point with LPG is that that was the second person that he said for most likely to be a stand-up comedian, Ahmad Bradshaw, well, that's, which that kind of really surprised me. Uh, like, oh, I wouldn't really think of Ahmad Bradshaw being like a funny guy, but he can like stand up on a stage, he said, and really give like a good, uh, good stand-up comedy performance. So that is that. But kind of transitioning over, um, Bradshaw was a part of this crew, but in that next season, that 2008 se- season coming off the Super Bowl, uh, we don't really want to really remember that season fully, but we do want to rem- remember these three, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Though neither Jacobs, Bradshaw, nor Derek Ward could carry a proper musical note if their lives depended on it, that rushing trio of Earth, Wind, and Fire made beautiful music together in the Giants' 2008 backfield. By the time Jacobs, Earth, Bradshaw, Wind, and Ward, Fire finished running all over opponents in that 12-4 and season, the NFL's top-ranked rushing group sported two 1,000-yard rushers in Jacobs and Ward and set team records with 2,500 rushing yards and a 5-yard average. At the same time, they took accepted procedure a step further. Teams had become leery of overusing a single-featured back and had started going to two-headed attacks. The thunder and lightning setup of Dane and Barber that had appeared revolutionary at the the turn of the century was no longer no- novelty. Ernie Palladino once again is trying to defend the Ron Dane pick. But the Giants had drafted a real sleeper in Bradshaw in 2007. His productivity in running for a playoff clinching 88-yard touchdown in the snows of Buffalo and his work in Ice Bowl 2 indicated that he too belonged with the brutalizing Jacobs and slashing Ward. Thus evolved a three-headed attack aptly nicknamed by defensive end Justin Tuck as natural manifestations working in harmony. Everybody goes thunder and lightning, Tuck said, but we've got three of them, so I call them Earth, Wind, and Fire. I think Earth is Brandon, I think Fire is Ward, and I think Wind is Bradshaw. Um, Snacks, you did some work on Pro Football Reference just to find out uh, how good they were stats-wise, and then maybe we'll get to like some, uh, some observations just overall on how we remember these three guys. Yeah, because remember when we were talking about when you, you first texted me that we're going to do Earth, Wind, and Fire, it's like that was always – to me, was a myth because I always think of the 2008 season after we won the first Super Bowl against the Patriots, and it was never earth, wind, and fire to me. It was always 2008 was Derek Ward and Brandon Jacobs, and I thought I, I had thought at the time Bradshaw was hurt or something. I you know I, I couldn't remember exactly or whatnot, but no, Bradshaw was was active 15 out of 16 games. It was just the simple fact that Derek Ward and Brandon Jacobs were unbelievable that year. They both went over a thousand yards. Derek Ward, which Justin, you definitely didn't know, he was a uh, he was a receiving threat. You didn't know this, did you? No. How much of a receiving no. threat? No, you didn't. No, he caught forty two balls for four hundred yards that year. You didn't know that. I remember having like a sixty yard screen pass. I feel like. See, Justin, this is why you have to you have to learn. Bradshaw only had five catches in two thousand eight. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But no, Bradshaw made the most of his carries too. He only had 67 carries and he averaged five yards a carry. Each running back that year, I, I'm, I'm strictly talking about 08 right now. Each back five yards a carry. I mean, granted, that offensive line was very good. It was still intact. One of the best offensive lines in Giants history, if not the best. But Bradshaw comes off a rookie year where he's dominating. And maybe not dominating, but he's playing very well in the playoffs. He's winning games against Buffalo to clinch a wild card berth. And then he comes in here and Derek Ward just shows up. And Derek Ward goes for a thousand plus yards, goes for 50 catches. All this combined and Bradshaw just was not there. He just sat out. It was it. 
They just did not have a spot for him. And it always blew my mind because Bradshaw as a rookie was amazing. And then they just did not want to utilize him after. But I get it. Ride the hot hand, right? You ride Jacobs. You ride Ward. That's where it was. And you had over 2,000 yards rushing from two guys. So I guess I really can't get mad at Gilbride and, and Coughlin for not putting in Bradshaw as talented as he was. Because if it's uh, – Justin, what, what do they say? If it's not broke, don't fix it? Isn't that what it's they say? not said? broke, don't fix it. And what they would do, and Palladino made this point too, what they would do is you would have Jacobs and Ward as the one-two punch basically in quarters one through three. And just when the legs are starting to get a little watery and starting to get a little bit like ramen, like ramen soup, chicken noodle soup, you bring in Bradshaw, which is, you know, the, what did they called him? They called him the wind. Let me make sure. Yes. Um, yes, they called him the wind. So you would bring him in and he'd be the guy that, you know, that's bringing the nice little jukes and he's bringing the speed in, but he also can bring the power too. I actually did just check this. It's crazy. It's so crazy that the continuity of this offensive line group that, that we had and we, we took that such for granted. All five of those guys, I believe in both. No, to the, I don't know. O'Hara might have missed a game in 2007. But in 2008, all five of those guys started all 16 games. They played Deal. three years straight together. Yeah. That line is talked about like through like the offensive line. Like, remember the Miami Dolphins coach that we were, there was talks that we were going to hire. I can't remember his name. And he's kind of like a jerk, I guess. Like, I was listening to interviews with him. But basically, like saying, like, like you know, offensive lines don't play together, and they, everyone references besides you know the Giants and you know between '07 and '09, like the way those guys stuck together was unreal, um, and the way that like they're legit friends. Like when I got to talk with Rich Soiber, he's like, we were just genuinely friends. Like we loved each other and cared about each other, and we still do to this day. We get together. So yeah, and then just it is crazy that Bradshaw, you know, was like left out, and Derek Ward comes in. Um, who, by the way, Derek Ward has not been had the cleanest slate uh, since his playing career. I'm very happy you brought that up because he was pretty much trash until that year. So we kind of got lucky. We kind of stepped in a you-know-what. All right, so I'm in the fantasy world, right, Bobby? And he he went for 48 catches. So in, in a half-point PPR with a running back, that's like what you want. That's like the ideal running back. The only thing is, Look at the numbers. He didn't score any touchdowns. He scored two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Jacobs had 15 touchdowns that year. 2008. <laughs> yeah. 15 touchdowns, which is, to me, insane. You have two 1,000-yard running backs, one of which scored two touchdowns, the other scored 15. That is crazy. Yeah. I remember T- Tiki's last year was the first year I ever did fantasy football. And I remember him saying, like, you can't draft me in fantasy football anymore because they keep giving the touchdowns to Brandon Jacobs at the goal line. Um, so, yeah, Jacobs Tiki, got those. Tiki uh, said a lot of things, Bobby. Tiki said a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah he did. that one was a little, <laughs> less har- a, little, a little less harmless. Yes, you're right. You're not, you're not kidding. I, uh, I remember my first fantasy football year. I, uh, I was 13 years old, and I took Tiki Barber number one overall. I, I remember telling year. my friend, don't worry. You could draft Michael Vick. The charges aren't sticking. And the next week, he uh, the Chargers stuck. The Chargers stuck. <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. That's good. See? I remember that. Um, because just jumping back to Ward because I wanted to mention this. I remember that I one of the most thrilling Giants games I've ever been to. And snacks, you might have been there, but it was Week 16. Uh, we played the Panthers, and I believe we won in overtime. 
34 to 28. I didn't realize. Now, I know Ward had a bananas day. He had over 200 rushing yards. But in 15 attempts, 15 attempts, he had 215 rushing yards. No touchdowns, like you said. And, and he didn't really have a good receiving day that day. But I remember that game. It might have been even like Ward had like, a, I don't know if it was a walk-off touchdown or if he had like a touchdown in the fourth quarter that really brought us close. But he had a bananas game that game. Um and he was really no. He didn't. Side, he didn't so. have any. He didn't have any receiving yards that day. But that was that was not week fifteen. That was week seventeen. That was that was for uh, no for, for prese- that that no. That was home field possession that week. That was week seventeen. It was week Am sixteen. It was week sixteen. It I know because I also thought it. Oh, was you're the last right. Yeah, game yeah, of the yeah. You're right. Yeah, and then they played Minnesota at the end. Yes, but that game was to clinch home field. Yes, yes. Every time yes. we would play Minnesota, um, Eli Manning liked to throw seven interceptions uh, between the years of two thousand, basically two thousand four to two thousand. Like I feel like two thousand nine. Eli, Manning yeah. If, he, just, if Eli, if Eli never played Minnesota, his interception count would be down a hundred. But yeah, you're hundred percent right. Aaron Sharper. They used to invite uh, Aaron Sharper to the passing, the like the Manning passing academy. I, I, I think. I remember that that year at 07, going into halftime of that game that the Vikings had more points than they had yards. Yeah, no. Because their offense true. was just horrible. They just kept throwing pick sixes. He threw, Eli threw three pick sixes that game. So bad. It's, oh. it's one, one, one of those games that I, I wish I never spent money on. There and Justin, I, you know what? Hold on real quick. Justin, do you know what game this year, this past year that I spent money on that I didn't want to spend money on that I got in trouble yeah, for? But- Oh, the Minnesota Vikings game, the one that I begged you to go to because that was going to be the game that the Giants were going to get their stripes back. They were going to have uh-huh. a meaningful win in the month of like September, Three and October, two going and they the were going to be above 500. Division. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Confidence yeah. was at an all-time high. The Yankees were playing the Twins that weekend too for the ALDS. <laughs> yeah, so so we knew the we knew the Yanks were going to win. Yeah, it's like Daniel Jones. He's going to be undefeated for his entire career. He's never going to lose a game. I was doing the annoy Redskins fans tweets where it's like Daniel Jones career winning percentage one hundred percent, Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, zero. just comparing them in any stat I could to get the other rookie QBs to look bad. Yeah, of course, and and at that point, I will say I have never in my life seen somebody stick up for Daniel Jones like Bobby Skinner. To this day, I still don't understand how he played that well, and there's only one man that really stuck by him. So God bless to you, Bobby, Justin. I to this day I am so annoyed at you. The Minnesota Viking team gives me the goosebumps. I hate that team. Everything about them. They have brought me nothing but misery since two thousand one, the NFC Championship game forty one nothing. They have brought me nothing. You beg me, Justin. Do you understand? Do you not understand the fight I had with my girlfriend that day? Yeah, I did a little, that for a little you. context. A little context. I begged Snacks to go to that game because I was convinced we were going to go win. Because at that point, Minnesota was reeling. Stefan Diggs wanted out. Kirk Cousins, oh. you know, he couldn't win big games. A lot, a lot, a lot, yada, yada, yada. Um, so the, at that point, the team was reeling. And the Giants are booming. And I'm like, we need to have a meaningful win in the month of September. And Snacks, you have to come with me. We have to meet. We're going to win. And you're going to be there. Ah, and no, and he had a wedding to go to. And his girlfriend got so mad at him. And it was a historic and where fight. where did I go? Where did I go? Misery. You went to Misery. I did. And yeah. Misery loves company. So that's right. That's all. That's all on you. And I will never forgive you for that. 
Actually, you know what? I shouldn't say that. I don't thank you enough for that. <laughs> because being there at the stadium, tailgating, hanging out with you, hanging out with Ron, hanging out with the rest of the guys, it's always a great time. It's much better to me than, than anything in the world. But the fact that you tried to sell me on them winning is something that I think you're disgusting for, and I will never forgive you. Ever. Ever. Well, speaking of a good time, Eli Manning hosted SNL, and, early, and Ernie Palladino decided to write a little bit of that. So that's our next story, live from New York. When does a two-time Super Bowl MVP know he's arrived? When he hosts Saturday Night Live, of course. So on May 5th, 2012, smack in the middle of sweep season, baby-face, laid-back, easy Eli came to follow in Brother Peyton's footstep, footsteps as host of television's longest-running show, usually known for his bland, though respectful manner. Manning showed both charm and acting chops in what really amounted to his second appearance on the show. The first came five years before when he offered a wave from the audience during the monologue of Peyton's Bravaro host turn in 2007. Unlike Peyton, who had acted in high school productions, never knew that, Eli had never trod the boards except for a couple of awkward appearances in commercials. They were not awkward. I love Eli Manning's commercials. How dare you, Ernie? Those never put him in danger of earning a CLIO award nomination. Don't know what that is. But SNL, that was breakout stuff, especially as he lampooned Big Brother Peyton, his foil in absentia. The highlight came in sketch playing off of Peyton's United Way spoof when the then Colts quarterback spent his time with his young charges, alternately insulting them and abusing them with footballs. Peyton was seen giving one kid a prison-style tattoo before teaching the whole lot of them how to break into a car. Eli's spot used the little brother sketch as a premise to help younger siblings strike back at the bullying of older brothers. The end sees him throwing a cast member, Andy Samberg, playing an older brother into a car trunk. And now you'll learn to, to treat your younger brother with respect, Peyton, Manning yells. I'm not Peyton, Samberg responds. Whatever. Maybe now you'll learn to treat your younger brother with some respect, Peyton. My name's not Peyton. Whatever. He dressed in drag as Miss Chicken Fried Steak for another skit and devised a lame touchdown celebration dropping a sandwich to the ground and picking it up and eating it for another. Reviews were mixed. Considering how the clean-cut Manning is so politically correct and safe during media interviews with reporters, it was interesting to see the quarterback in a different light on SNL, wrote ESPN New York's Ohm. Whoa, this is this is this is a name. ESPN's New York Ohm Young Miss Missuck. Oh my god. Young Missuck. Thank God I wasn't around in 2012. ESPNW's <laughs> Jane McManus said his performance wasn't terrible. He was a bit wooden, but pretty good-natured. NFL.com's Greg Rosenthal gave him a B plus. It was a lot like Eli's career. We had low expectations, but he wound up looking cool under pressure. So the reviews weren't terrible, but I do think that they were still pretty mean, and I didn't like it. Here's what I remember from Eli Saturday Night Live. I think we got the first glimpse of Aaron Rodgers being a douche because he talked about how, oh, I was actually the one who was invited to do it, but I didn't want to do it. And I think that was the first time we're like, hey, Aaron Rodgers, like, nobody, like, why are you being a douche about it? Like, if you didn't want to do it, just don't do it. You don't need to tell us that you didn't want to do it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in full agreement there. Like, why? What What is the reason? Justin, do you have an explanation? Do I have an explanation about Aaron Rodgers being, being a, being a D-bag? Yeah, yeah. Do you got one? Well, I'm also a NASCAR fan, and Bobby's a NASCAR fan too. I, now, this is going to sound bad. This is going to sound mean. For anybody to want to date Danica Patrick, who is not Dave a good person. Patrick? She is not a nice person. Danica Patrick. 
for anybody who wants to date her and can get along with her and can live in the same uh, house as her, you kind of need to also be a psychopath. That's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, I can live with psychopaths. Have you heard the Tosh stand-up bit on Danica Patrick? No. It's kind of funny. He, he talks about how <laughs> we, like, we make, like, women athletes to be, like, the hottest women of all, like, all time. And it's like, nah, she's a four. Um, it's... That's now that insane. I'm saying it out loud on a podcast, it's kind of mean. But that's what Tosh is. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, have you ever seen her walk? She's bow-legged. She, she literally is, yeah. And she's got she's got those eyes that, that make you want to, like... Oh, they're black. You, yeah, you crave for her. No, no, Justin, go to Google. Type in Danica Patrick eyes. Look in her eyes. You crave for the, those eyes because she's gorgeous. And then... She's going to tell you, you're not good enough. That's who Danica Patrick is. Great woman. Love her. Very good driver. Also, she was not a also, good driver. She um, would get I into mean, a wreck like every race. It was brutal. I, I, I was trying to be the uh, trying to be the one here to, to, to support the woman. Nope. But, she, uh, she wasn't a good driver. She was not. I'm looking at a headshot. No, she I'm looking at a headshot of her right now from when she was a, a NASCAR driver in her you know, GoDaddy driver suit. Her eyes were black. Yeah, that's not good. They're yeah. uh, black eyes are never good. Like full black eyes. If they're brown, fine. Black eyes never good. And by the way, what are never good? I get. I guess a personal. I guess a personal story. Snacks. Um, I need to stop you. I need to stop you. Snacks. That, snacks. Did you say black eyes are never good? No, black eyes. Black eyes. Oh, that. Oh, okay. oh it doesn't. Black eyes. See how it could be turned into something there? Yeah, no, I got you. I'm going to have to send that to Scott. Justin, do you really Scott's think the, I would Scott's say the that? Producer you of Big really Guns think I would so. say that? Hey, I got to send it to Scott and he'll uh, he'll he'll make a drop of it so you can use it on Fade the Public. Black eyes. Uh, you know what? She stole the shine from Shauna Robinson, who was a like an actually halfway decent driver. She just never got the sponsorship in the car. She drove the number the unsponsored number 49. Eli Manning was pretty funny on SNL. There's some NASCAR knowledge right there. <laughs> Eli, Eli, what, you, Justin, you didn't even bring up the funniest part of Eli. The the lawyer, the, the courtroom scene with Eli. The courtroom scene. As a stint. That was the best part of Eli's stint on SNL. You didn't even bring that up. Well, Ernie, well, blame Ernie Palladino. He's the one that didn't bring it up. Well, give me his number. I have a question for you, Snacks. The, the, True, the stunt where he's like, where they go through all his calls. Have you ever had one of yes. those nights where you wake up and you look at your call list and it's like, oh my gosh, I, I called every single girl in my phone book. Um, I would be remiss to tell you that uh, that happens probably every weekend. Yeah, <laughs> I've had just a few of those, and then it's like, oh wow, Bobby, you're you're you know, I don't do I don't drink like that anymore, but you know, back in the day, and it'd be like, no, it's oh bad, no, it's like yeah. I texted and called literally every single girl in my phone book. And I fell asleep yep. with my jeans on. Um, yep. Snaps yep. drunk text me. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's funny, Justin. I know what you're about to say. And Bobby, the what you just said is as perfect as anything I could have ever heard because it's so true. I do it all the time. But I have come to terms with the fact that when I do get drunk, I just text Justin. And yes, Justin, te- drunk texts me often. Yes. <laughs> I do. And here's I do. one of two and responses is it mean that I get. Or very nice. Because usually. Oh, well, 
mean yeah. guys like me and snacks our drunk texts are very nice and like, like yes yeah yeah exactly we, we 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 are uh big a-holes but when we text we're, we're great guys so just i gave you an emotional compliment between you know 2009 and 2014 um i was definitely drunk because i never <laughs> i like that i like that that's that's a funny little line there but snacks would give me one or two uh drunk texts it's either the Giants are winning two games this year and we're getting Trevor Lawrence and we're done and we're doomed. Don't even or the Giants or the Giants are winning 14 games this year and we're winning the Super Bowl. So those are the I I never <laughs> There's no in I never get a drunk I never get a drunk snacks text that says, you know what, we're winning seven games this year. Yeah, there's no reasonable drunk snacks text. No, but I no, hate I never. hate saying that we're gonna win seven games this year. I'd rather be like, you know what, Bobby, gonna, thank you. The, I'm the, hold on. I'm getting. I, I I hate to interrupt. I'm sorry. I feel the same way. Like, no, I don't want Trevor Lawrence because that means Daniel Jones was shit, and that means we suck. I don't want that. Excuse my language. I'm sorry. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. One slip. One. Sorry, Justin. It's bleep okay. it out. I get one. I get one. The only thing I want is to go nine and seven and hit that seven spot because I really think at the end of the day, with this young talent, that's what we could do. I believe in Daniel Jones, Bobby. You, you sick, sadistic. I'm not even gonna say the rest of it because you know everybody knows what I'm gonna say. <laughs> Sob, I'm not gonna say it. You brought everybody in to Daniel Jones, and the fact that he proved everybody wrong, but you right, that just means he's growing. He is going to get even better and better and better. We've got something here. Thank God, we've got something here. The defense so, just scares me. The defense. That I am, see, I cannot get excited yep. about the defense until I actually no, see it do no. well because I. I am so scared that the defense is going to be horrible. I, I really think if we bring Marcus Golden back, that'll be good. That'll be good. I, I, I try I try and – I guess, Justin, can we do like like a quick five minutes of just current giant talk right here? Because kind of – Yeah. Yeah, we're we're done with Paladino. We did it. All right, it. good. C- kind of into it. Hey, Justin, shut up. Me and Snacks are talking for the next five minutes. Boom. Justin, sit it out. Okay. I'll see I'll shut see you in ten up. minutes. I'm bleeding blue, okay? Get the fuck <laughs> – oh, nope. <laughs> nope, didn't say that. Didn't say that. Didn't say that. But like a Kyle Fackrell with, with Graham, I feel like he can be a, a productive player, not a two-and-a-half sack kind of guy. They had both those Smiths last year in, in Green Bay. Of course he's not going to get the time to produce anything. I do worry with you. I'm with you. But to me, in today's NFL, you need a secondary. And in my opinion, James Bradbury might be the most underrated signing in the NFL. That guy's Bradbury. good. That my, guy's good, Bradbury. man. The thing that scares me, though, Snacks, is I love Janoris Jenkins. I know he had the one yeah, bad game I know, against I know Tampa. You, yeah. So that's why I that's why Bradbury doesn't like won't push me to the next level for the Giants defense because like I thought Jenkins did a really good job. If you just subtract one Tampa game, and we ended up winning that game in the end, anyways. We did. We did. We did. But well, my thing is, my thing is that I, I don't know. I don't know those guys personally. I don't. To me, Jenkins came off as a little lazy, but I can't really call him lazy because he was an all-pro in 2016. Like, he was legitimately the best cornerback in football for a year. So I can't I can't say that. But but Bradbury, at a reasonable contract at 26 years old, playing against Mike Evans, Godwin, Julio Jones, all these guys, and shutting them down, it's kind of something to be excited about. Drew Peppers went out. Julian Love, you hope, takes the next step. McKinney. Like you guys have talked about, not your 
you know, over the top kind of guy. You could you could bring Peppers back, but I I feel like this secondary has so much room for growth and so much potential that with a relatively decent or half a minded defensive coordinator can put them in the right spot. I, that's just me. And we could just outscore people too. As long as Daniel Jones doesn't fumble at our own 20, we can just outscore. Yeah, him. well, if he if he's not fumbling at our own 20 and our own 15 after the touchback on the kickoff, if he's not fumbling in the next possession, then fine. Yes, we got a shot. If everybody stays healthy, listen, that offensive line, I, I know you're with me. Andrew Thomas has got to start a left tackle day one. Has, has to. to. Has yeah. to. Like, there's no, there's no point in taking the best left tackle in football. You guys preach this. The whole draft period, Andrew Thomas, Andrew Thomas, Andrew Thomas. And I never in a million years thought they were going to take him. I was seeing mock drafts that took him at 10, 11, 12. They took him at four. He was a left tackle in the SEC, the best one in the country. Why would you not take a weakness, put a strength there, okay? Let him learn you're not winning 12 games right away. I mean, if they do, Bobby, I'll fly you up and we'll have a big party. But that's not the case right now. Put him at left tackle where he's naturally born to play. Put Solder at right. That's my opinion. That's me. And Sorry, I've gone on that. way too long. Andrew Thomas cannot be worse than what Nate Solder was last year. And we have Bang. and we were we were excited. We were excited. We're excited about Daniel Jones' rookie year. And then the left tackle position cannot be played worse than it was last year. So you don't really have much to lose because we've seen Daniel Jones excite us with that horrible left tackle play. And you know what? If Stolder is going to bounce back, that's awesome. Let him bounce back at right tackle. And let's let our future left tackle play the position that he was drafted to play. Amen. Justin, how many times can I say amen, amen, amen? You know that's exactly how I feel. How many times did Daniel Jones fumble from the blindside hit that he got from Nate Stolder's left side? Like, that's how bad it is. It could not be any worse, like you just said. Why not just put... Your franchise left tackle right there, right away. It makes no sense to start him at the right tackle and then move him to the left tackle in a year. It makes no sense. No sense. That's it. Yeah, and Done. like left tackle QB, like that is a chemistry like duo right there, just like QB wide receiver. Because you like to know right. what your tackle does, what he what he's doing when he has a mistake and he tries to correct it mid play. So there's chemistry within that too. So why why delay all that? Why delay it all, build it up right away, have the left tackle and the franchise quarterback right away building that chemistry, knowing he's got his back for 10 years to come. That's exactly what needs to happen. That's somebody me. Said, That's me. Somebody said that the beat reporters are writing the Nate Solder should play left tackle um, articles to set themselves up that if Andrew Thomas struggles, that they can write the why is Andrew Thomas playing left tackle uh, articles in week eight. Are you into that conspiracy theory? To me, it makes sense. I mean, why wouldn't they? Because the Giants beat writers outside of like three are a bunch of uh, Justin, not cursing. Tread Um, tread carefully here, Snacks. Think think of thesaurus.com in your brain right now. Say it again. I said thesaurus.com in your brain right now. Think of of a word that you want to call beat reporters that isn't something that I have to bleep out. Idiots. There you go. How about that? Idiots. Idiots, idiots, idiots. Yeah, who's My your least, least favorite? Let's let's have this oh, conversation. That's oh, that's a good conversation. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm not a big Matt Lombardo fan. Yeah, nobody is. Nobody is. I know he he is down on my down on my totem pole. 
Um, I loved it. Dan Duggan. I literally subscribed to The Athletic for Dan Duggan. I think he's the best out of them all. Um, yeah, he he just does his job the best. He he really does. He's like, you know, I'm a Twitter guy, so I like go and when they post something, I read the replies like just to see how insane Giants Twitter is. And we are literally insane. But like Dan Duggan puts out a really good article on The Athletic that nobody reads and they just read the headline and just comment on it. And it makes me sick. Yeah. So but you can't be too he, mad about that when there's a paywall. No, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I do. And Justin, I hate to tell you, I love our Stapleton. I think it's a, I think it's I'm a Bergen County around. thing, Bergen County, New Jersey thing. I've been reading him in the paper since I was a kid. So I I'm loyal to loyal to art, but you got like guys like Daryl Slater and Matt Lombardo that just, they do this clickbait stuff. Oh, see, good right there. Good right there. It, it, it just it just doesn't get me going. Like, stop stop doing this clickbait stuff. Jordan Renan, he's he's okay. You know, he, he's got the whole ESPN gig, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He's got to do all this stuff. I but like Renan. Lo- I don't need my guy. I, do too. I don't need them to be a fan of the team. I think he does a good, I I think he does a good yep. job, and I think he actually, like, breaks news. That's the one thing. The one thing I love it. I like Arch Stapleton. The one thing that makes me laugh about Arch Stapleton one is his quote tweet, like uh, his like when he goes on a quote tweet uh, when his his mentions are getting blown up, and then two, Arch Stapleton always is the confirms the confirms the news that's already been broken, guy. Yeah, because he doesn't break any of it. No, no offense, Arch. Not everyone's a newsbreaker, but he he he's, no, the, which... he's the news confirmer. But yeah, right, we have which Zach Rosenblatt on of NJ.com, and we had to preface it like, hey, we know, like, hey, you guys know we can't stand Matt Lombardo but give this guy a chance. That's like Matt Lombardo was the only beat reporter where I flat out will just publicly be like, yeah, he sucks. No, legit. Like I will, I will go out and say he sucks too. He's like yeah. that bad. We try to that play bad. nice with everyone, even guys like we don't like, and it's like, yeah. we're never going to be friends with him, but it's like, we just at least try and play nice. Lombardo is the only one where I will just be like, no, you, you suck. And you like, you're bad at your job. And he, like, he's, he's a guy that can literally say like, yo, he'll, he'll direct message. Yo, Bobby, can I come on talking giants? And you'd be like, no, <laughs> just or I just no, be like, we're no, gonna we're gonna argue. I'd just be like, we're just gonna argue. About yeah, 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 yeah. So so set yourself <laughs> up for this. No, it's a hundred percent true because the guy he's a clickbait machine. He cares nothing. He has no actual factual anything. Actual factual. Hear that, Justin? Mm-hmm. Actual Good. nothing. He brings nothing to the table at all. Like Daryl Slater, NJ.com. Like, you know, like I love it. I, I'm New Jersey, thick and through. But that is the worst source of info you can get. So, like, the paywall with Dan Duggan is well worth the $3 a month. Uh, to me, to me, he is by far the – and your guys' interview with him, probably top five episodes that you guys have done. Just saying. And he's Don't nice. Wow. Pay. He would – thank you. Um, He comes on – like, he came on before we were – like, even had, like, even the resemblance of an audience. So, he's he's cool yeah. like that. Um, yeah, that I was, think, that was in the early beginning. It. I think yeah. he knows how to, like – one like be like he can be, he can be critical, but also like not you know not doing clickbait and knowing how to interact with people as well. No, exactly, and he also he puts out well educated and well researched articles. It's not just like one a day where it's like, oh, you know this guy blah 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 blah. No, like Lombardo, it it just that's not how it's supposed to be. So I I appreciate him, and I always appreciated that interview. And Justin, I'm pretty sure that was before COVID, right? Didn't I? Yes. Wasn't I texting you full 
full way through that the whole Dan Duggan interview on the train. Yeah, I make you do that. Um, some episodes yeah, that I really like, I, um, yeah. I, I say, hey, I want you to listen to it and give me your reactions to every second that you have a thought. That was the yes. start of COVID. Yeah, I think. By I think you're right. It was like right in the beginning. I think it was March. Oh like yes, because I remember. I, yeah. that might have been my last train. My last train ride home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I there's very few episodes I'll go back and like listen to a clip. That one I love because Justin, we before we start recording, Justin's like, "Hey, on the intro, you're a little loud. Can you not yell as much? Like, can you be a little quieter?" <laughs> in the intro? And I just hit him with the "Welcome to Talking Giants." And I just, <laughs> looking back, I was like, you know how many like first time listeners we got because of Duggan and their first uh, impression of me is yeah. obnoxiously screaming into the microphone. And yeah, nobody gets the joke. Well, of, well, <laughs> if you're not loyal listening, you're not going to get the joke. Of course not. But I, I, t- yeah. I tell Justin this all the time. I've got I've got two friends, two very good friends that listen to Talking Giants all the time. Not like for me and not for Justin because how, you know, me and Justin are good friends. But the fact that you guys put out good quality. You're doing rookie rookie players a year out. You're doing all this and filling up time during COVID and all this. Like you guys are that on top of the ball of everything. So I will sign off by saying this was an absolute honor. Bobby, I love you. Love you too, Snacks. And I'm very I'm very sorry that I came at yet with that one tweet about a year ago or whatever. I like that though. You gotta be true <laughs> to yourself. I come I've come at people I like. I've come at yeah. Justin. I've come at, I, I mean, a couple of times. If you ha- if if you don't feel comfortable getting on someone's nerves, you don't. You're then you're not really a friend. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I'll, I'll I will I promise y'all I will do it again. I that that was something that I just didn't agree with. I so came, I came at, at you one it. time and I felt like an idiot because you got me good because I asked what oh. people. I, I I remember everything. Snacks. I I have a good memory of like. <laughs> yeah, you got a good memory. I don't remember this. I, I, I'm kind of interested. You'll in remember. It. You'll remember because you dunked on me. And I was like, you know, I didn't know anything about Matt Rule. And I was like, I'm going to watch the Big 12 Championship. What are the oh. things I should look at for a Matt Rule? And you you gave a description. And I was like, the description it was, it sounded kind of like bland. And I was like, I was like that description sounds like you've never uh, watched a single game. And you're like, uh, I watched every game of Temple. And I have friends who played for him. And I'm like. God, that is yes. freaking. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You just screw me there. Yes, I I did have a good buddy that played a temple for Matt Rule. That's why I was always on his board. But um, <laughs> I, you know what? Now that you said that, I, I remember you. You don't know nothing about it. That's what you said. You don't know anything corny. about Matt Rule. I he know, is like, it, dude. It's dude, he, he's like a preacher. He's like a preacher. No, I don't want I, a preacher. I can't, and I can't even stand that type of preacher. Anyways, but right. Like, I was saying in in the fact, and I remember texting Anthony because Anthony is like who I would text about my like in the know like football takes, and I was like I just can't buy into this guy. But I was like I didn't yeah. want to like hate on him for like being a nice guy, but I was like this guy is so corny. And he's like, and if he loses three games in a row, people are not going to stand him. Um, yeah, I and he's got I, that I was, ugly mug you just want to punch. I embraced him if they were going to get him, but I was not like. I had no excitement for Matt Rule, but I was just like at that yeah. point I was like, you know what? I'm willing to try something new at this point. Uh, you know. Yeah. Well, see, to- see, Bo- see, Bobby, that that's a, your last point is exactly why I wanted Matt Rule because I thought, in my opinion, it would be completely different, like a culture change. Granted, he only built cultures in college, but I thought we needed a complete, utter revolt of our culture as as a giant team, and um. I mean, notice to me, Joe Judge was that guy. Yeah. Ten times out of guy, ten. You, 
I would take Joe Judge. Joe Judge was the one head coaching candidate that we just flat out ignored. We went. We ignore, oh, dive. I know you did. Oh, I know. I know you. I know. I know you did. We're just like, oh, I special texted, teams, wide receivers coach, not talking about. Yeah. Not doing any research on him. And then it's like, you yeah. got to be kidding me. That's And that's the way yeah. it goes. Literally, he, dude, he was the bottom of the barrel. Like, literally, the bottom of the barrel of head coaching. Op, you know, who, who was it? It was Matt Rule, Biennemi, all, the, all these, all these guys. Martindale was my guy. Martindale, yeah, I know. Wink, yeah, yeah. He would he would have been good. Cool. I would like Wink. I would, he was probably my second choice outside I of Matt Wink, Rule. but I did. He, he also did scare me of like one of those guys. Like, was he just a good defensive coordinator because he had good players? Yeah, and had the lead a lot or not? But out of, I I didn't want another offensive coordinator. Let's put it that way. I was no, yeah. Offensive see, coordinators. That's the same way I felt. And with Wink, I almost I don't want to say it was the same vibe. But like John Fox went from us to the Panthers, and he brought them to the Super Bowl and the playoffs like five out of six years. So I I almost got kind of got those same vibes where Wink really put together a great defense. Players are not he they all bought in, and he's just a guy that everybody in the locker room would respect. And that's kind of what I thought about Matt Rule. But when I listened to See, Joe Judge talk, it was like ridiculous, ridiculous. I never. I have never, in 10 years, I haven't played high school football in 10 years. I have not wanted to run through a brick wall like I did when Joe Judge spoke. Yeah, so. he commands a room, and he's one of those guys where it seems like he can be in hard-ass without being, like, unlikable. Whereas Matt Patricia, right. like, he does the hard-ass thing, and you saw from day one, it's like, I don't, like, like, dude, you're, you're no putting one's on, you're that. not as tough as you make yourself out. Like, you have yeah. to, you, people have to, believe that you are what you talk about so you know it's the reason a lot of you know like bill o'brien guys like that you know they don't work out yeah like, yep. that's not who you are dude like stop trying to be, be stop trying to be belichick be who you are on a normal day exactly and and the fact that justin i think we might talk about this on bleeding blue um what i was telling you a little bit yeah, about, get out kinda... get out all of your current football takes because i i uh i i just what is what is the word justin i told you to I, stop um... talking <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Give, give me. No, me, 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 and Bobby were going. We were going. I'm giving Snacks his moment because I, I shunt his creative, uh, his creative mm-hmm. ability to talk about football in, in today's times because I only make him yes. talk about things from 20 years ago. So go ahead. No, Snacks, yeah, 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 yeah. Real, real mature, you, Justin. But it's, it's almost to the point where I went back and read. I read like seven articles on coaches that Belichick coached with, and I read like the quotes that Belichick said and. Obviously, he's like, you know, he's the barrier of all NFL coaches. And I have never in my life, never in my life, literally like three months of reading it. It was like it was Flores. It was Patricia, which, by the way, it was that was Belichick's defense, not Patricia's. He just had a pencil in his ear and he looked like like absolute that is another reason. Like, it's like, dude, you have an illuminated sheet. What do you need a pencil in your? You're a weirdo. It makes no sense. No sense at all. But every single every single quote that Belichick said about his all coaches were nothing compared to what he said about Joe Judge, and that was kind of Justin. That was kind of what I wanted to go into on Blue and Blue, but I guess it's a it's a it's a history thing, so I guess we can't do that. Anyway, he literally, literally did not give a glowing endorsement for anybody. Like uh, you know, he gave an endorsement, but nothing like he gave a Joe Judge. It's like this guy is young; he knows what he's doing. He's energetic. He's attentive to detail, every single thing that you want in a head coach. That's Bill Belichick saying that. 
And then Nick Saban said the same thing. That's not like, I don't know. That's not Mike Tomlin saying it, who's the most overrated coach in football. Like they're, they're not, this is, this is very, very, very good recommendations. And all these different guys that failed under the Belichick tree, I think is all a myth. Because they all tried, like you said, Bobby, they all tried to be him. They all tried to be him. You can have his traits. You can have his qualities. You can have all these different things he does. Fine. But you will never replicate who Bill Belichick is. So to me, Joe Judge is the perfect mix of everything. He got Saban. He got Bill. Tutelage under those guys. Here we are. Here we are. I read about six articles about the last six head coaches that were uh, under Bill Belichick's tree. Nothing came even close to what he gave Joe Judge as an endorsement. So that was a long-winded answer. I'm sorry, but kind of getting. That's okay. It. This Let's is go. your this is your avenue to talk about the Giants today. Now that's it. That that's all you get. You're done. It, you have to go listen to the Bleeding Blue podcast. Thank you, Bobby. <sighs> what do you? Oh, he said that. He said about? that. I just gave you. He said I just that. gave an ad for your podcast. Yeah, I know, and we don't do we don't do free ads on this show. I will I will sign off by saying this was as much fun I've ever had on a podcast in my life. It's an absolute honor going on my favorite podcast, talking about the team I love, doing everything like that. Bobby, stop pandering. No, I'm not. Pan- I wish I was. I don't pander at all. Justin can tell you I don't pander. I love you guys, Bobby. Thank you for welcoming in, Justin. I'll talk to you in a few minutes. Go Giants. Go Giants. Thank you for listening. That was the Snacks and Bobby show for the last uh, quarter of this podcast. But for for 75% of the show and talking about Giants history, that's what we do on Bleeding Blue. It's not the Bleeding Blue podcast. It is Bleeding Blue. I I low-key, I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you've ever interviewed me and you've introduced me as the host of the Bleeding Blue podcast. Uh, Hey, for next time I'm on your show, it's Bleeding Blue. I am. I, I'm, I'm very whiny. We're going to finish off the show listening to the SNL uh, short skit of Eli Manning uh, uh, beating up on a bunch of older brothers. So thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, let's go Big Blue. Hi, I'm Eli Manning, and I'm a proud ambassador to the Little Brothers program. Our organization helps kids build confidence, reach their goals, and overcome adversity, especially when that adversity is an older sibling. So, what does your brother do to you? He breaks my toys and doesn't let me play with my video games. Let's find a creative solution to fix that. Are you Eli Manning? Nope. I'm your worst nightmare. We understand the frustration of an older brother who thinks he can boss you around. This is fun, right? Yeah. Right? Yes, sir. It is fun. At Little Brothers, we're ready to face any level of big brother problem. (laughs) We know that big brothers can be real dickheads. We also provide kids with great sports and activities like dodgeball. Stop! T-ball. And archery. I'll give you a five-second head start. One, two, good enough. Maybe now you'll learn to treat your younger brother with some respect, Peyton. My name's not Peyton. Whatever. The little brother's program, because the time of reckoning is now at hand. <laughs>